the Golden Stallion is here, and it is time. In fact, it, speaking of time, it's just about two weeks until I get to sit down in the theater with the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. I wish there, there was some other people I wish were there, too. But anyway, it's going to be her and I, and we will be sitting down watching Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. I am so excited for this. I can't believe it's only a couple weeks away. It really, I mean, and it's hard to believe that it's only been, you know, it's barely been a year since the last Star Wars movie was in theaters. Like, well, I, I shouldn't say barely. I, well, yeah, barely is, is the accurate term. But I say that because it feels like it's been forever. I don't understand. Like, it's it's still maybe because I just immerse myself so much in Star Wars and all the little news that it still feels like back you know during the prequel days of course you know i was born in 81 so i didn't get to totally experience the original trilogy in theaters or anything uh, because return of the jedi came out in 83 but um you know i got to experience it on vhs and oh boy did i experience it on vhs those tapes were warping i watched that shit so much uh but you know i, I mean i was totally there for the prequels and you know you had to wait three years in between each one of those and it was crazy waiting all of that time and it's still you know i gotta admit i mean even though i know it's just a year it feels like maybe it's just because i just do so damn much in a year i don't know but it feels like it's still that three-year time frame but whatever very exciting uh that that the last jedi is coming up this is is something this is going to be a bit of a crux in my opinion for for star wars uh, in general and we've been talking about this of course this is your sovereign tech patreon only star wars update which we do one every month um, we also of course do a star trek update we do you know we do the relationship rhombus there's little monthly shows we do the live uh, you know hangout q a and everything little monthly shows that i like to make available to you and it gives me the opportunity to not have to squeeze this stuff into a Sovereign Tech Prime episode because it's already tough enough getting everything into a Sovereign Tech Prime episode. I mean, it's practically impossible, frankly. But we're getting close with Patreon. We're, at, uh, we're, we're getting closer to that $500 a month range, and then I can do two episodes of Sovereign Tech every single week, and then, you know, that won't be so much of a problem. But not that you're going to lose any of the Patreon content because of that. Anyway, um, yeah, Last Jedi is going to be a bit of a crux because as we've been talking about on the Star Wars update over the past few months, I feel like the situation in the Star Wars universe, the larger Star Wars universe, has been getting grimmer, uh, much more grim over time. Um, very concerned, still very concerned about what's going on with the uh, Han Solo movie. Of course, it's just called Solo now. We know that. Um, very concerned about... Well, we don't know what's going on with episode nine. J.J. Abrams is coming in, so you assume it's going to be okay, but uh, you, you know, you never know. I mean, some good news has come out. Of course, you know, just some quick news. Uh, it has been announced about two weeks ago, and of course, I'm recording this on November. Uh, this will be November 29th, 2017. Um, it had it had been announced a couple weeks ago that first off, Ryan Johnson, who wrote and or more or less wrote and directed. Uh, uh, the Last Jedi, which, like I said, I'm excited for. And if it's not good, Star Wars, is, in my opinion, is really screwed if somehow this movie sucks. But I don't think it's going to anyway. But it's been announced that he is being given an entire trilogy. And, uh, you know, I don't mean episode, you know, 10, 11 or 12. Uh, this is some kind of other trilogy. We don't exactly know what it's going to be about, but he has been given, uh, you know, creative uh, direction all the way around with uh, with an entire new uh, Star Wars trilogy which that's pretty exciting, that kind of news in itself. And let's touch on that for a minute. Um, 
I mean, clear. it seemed pretty clear at just about any conference, any interview that I've seen or something, where Kathleen Kennedy was talking about Ryan Johnson. I mean, she just loves this guy. Now, how much in charge Kathleen Kennedy is of Lucasfilm right now and, the, and its creative direction, that's another uh, you know question uh, entirely. But, you know, how much is Bob Iger, you know, kind of putting his finger in the pies? We don't know. But anyway, uh, you know, there, there seems to be clear confidence in what Ryan Johnson's doing. And that's part of the reason I think The Last Jedi is going to be huge. I think they know they, they have an absolute winner on their hands and that this is going to be so this is going to be a movie. The Last Jedi particularly is going to be a movie that people are going to be talking about for a good long while. Uh, maybe just like people talked about The Empire Strikes Back, you know, back in 1980 for a good long while. Of course, in that case, it was three years. In this case, we won't have episode nine until uh, 2020. Uh, yeah, wait. 2019, right? Yeah, not 2020. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, uh, you know, really, really exciting stuff. Um, of course, you know, we've had so many announcements as far as new movies go. Uh, you know, there's the Obi-Wan film. I mean, just, just a bunch of stuff, all, all of which is really cool. So anyway, Ryan Johnson though, with his new trilogy, I mean, I'm starting to feel like I really felt that more particularly it should, you know, who's taken over the mantle of George Lucas, right? I mean, I, I think Kathleen Kennedy, I think she's brilliant. I think she's very business savvy and all that. I don't know necessarily that she's like any kind of, you know, creative genius or something. Um, and, but Ryan Johnson obviously is. And while at first I would say that kind of the real replacement for more of the story direction of, um, you know, of Star Wars, at first, you know, I was thinking, OK, it's going to be Dave Filoni, of course, who, you know, worked directly with George Lucas, which one can't really say of Ryan Johnson uh, that, you know, that he you know worked with him on Clone Wars and everything. And of course, then, you know, had a had, you know, serious control over Star Wars or, you know, was the creator and, and had such, you know, direct control over where Star Wars Rebels would go, um, which we'll talk about. Uh, you know, kind of the end of season four, Star Wars, Star Wars Rebels here uh, as well, because that also happened within the month of November. Not not the end of the fourth season, but kind of the midseason break. And uh, I thought it hit a high note. So we'll talk about that. But anyway, uh, you know, maybe Ryan Johnson is being given kind of the, the reins of Star Wars or seeing what he can do with a new trilogy. I mean, this is a long term play because I think everything going on in Star Wars is very much a long-term play, like a super long-term play. And that's good. That's good. You know, I mean, because Lucasfilm really, you know, Disney is is a massive company. Lucasfilm really can be its own company within that. I, I mean, like there, there's there's no problem. You know, Disney can just kind of be the, uh, the the parent company, as it were. And Lucasfilm just has so much going for it. Star Wars alone can really be its own property, especially the way that Lucasfilm has been uh, has been doing things. And when we start to talk about there's a few comic book series I want to I want to review uh, or more storylines, I guess I should say that I want to review uh, a little later on in this episode. And some of that kind of highlighted the very the, the interesting game that I think Disney slash Lucasfilm is playing with timing with releases of things and uh, and and how they're how they're presenting things uh, overall with the especially the broader canon you know when you get into the comic books and novels and all that so anyway yeah I mean it's looking like may, maybe they're going to hand over you know the 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 uh, the feathered cap of George Lucas and their or the crown and they're going to give it to Ryan Johnson instead of Dave Filoni. I could see that, or maybe it'll be a co thing. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, maybe Dave Filoni will do his own stuff, uh, you know, and, and delve more into the, the animated realm or maybe into the TV realm, because that's another thing that was announced was that there is going to be a full on live action TV show. We know practically nothing about this. Of course, everybody's hoping it'll or just about everybody I've heard, uh, myself included, is hoping that it's going to be a Knights of the Old Republic um, 
uh, you know, TV series, but we don't know, you know, we're, we're not, we're not really sure where that's actually going to take place, but that's exciting news uh, as well. And of course, Disney has their streaming service, which I think is going to be starting in 2019. Obviously star Wars is going to be a major, major part of that though. Really? I still feel, and I've said this before, I still feel that star Wars should just have its own streaming service. Just like uh, there's Stargate command for Stargate where it's all it is is a streaming service for Stargate. And they're going to have the new show Stargate origins on and everything. Just do that for star Wars and hell you could do it for star Trek too, while you're at it, but uh, whatever, you know, I'm just saying star Wars has enough. And especially in the future, it's really going to, uh, to have enough, but you know, speaking of the old Republic. So I actually just recently, uh, actually just came in the mail today. I got a book um, called star Wars, super graphic, a visual guide to a galaxy far, far away by Tim Long. Now, Tim Long has done a few of these super graphic books. They're not uh, unique to Star Wars. Uh, Even though Star Wars is such a visual medium, it actually works particularly well uh, you know, for, for star Wars. And this is a beautiful book and, and kind of a rare, and I'll, I'll give a quick review here as we're going through this entire star Wars update, we're going to be reviewing a lot. Um, now this, this super graphic, uh, book is kind of unique in that it really like, it's, you know, all it is are, are like these kind of charts and a lot of these things that you'd sort of see on the internet that are a lot of fun. Um, and, and there's some really cool shit in it. Like, but but here's what's interesting about it. So like for one example, you have uh, this breakdown of all the different lightsabers uh, and all that that's in it. But then at the same time, you know, and I actually there's there's a great there's a little segment where it's or a, a, a page like and these are all blown up graphics that you could easily like scan and just have, you know, as you scroll down a Web page or something. But it's within a book. Uh, but there's a there's where they they have like this graphic of um, of a stormtrooper belt, you know, their utility belt. And it tells you everything that's when that's within this utility belt. Now understand this is, this is a Canon book. This is an official book. Uh, but then, you know, also they'll give you like, uh, uh, so there's the mixture of what's in the fiction, but then there's a lot of nonfiction too. Like the very first page is actually a breakdown of how many words are in each opening crawl and gives you a breakdown overall of the opening crawls, uh, you know, from, from a, you know, nonfiction, uh, perspective, uh, which is, which is kind of cool. Probably one of the more, and there's a lot of little nifty charts in here that actually give some very interesting information that I don't think you really get anywhere else. And this book is cheap. It's like $12. Uh, I mean, it's not, and you know, it's, it's a very, I think it's a very premium, nice, nice quality book, uh, has, let's see what we got a page count here is about 200 pages to it. So, you know, it's, it's fair sized, um, granted like every chart, you know, or every graphic takes up either one entire page or two pages. Uh, but anyway, there is there's one particularly on page 24 that I found interesting because this is kind of confirmation of something that I think has been terribly confusing ever since the prequel era. And no, I'm not talking about midichlorians. I love midichlorians, uh, but it's history of government in the galaxy. And all it is, it's this giant looks like a, you know, sunbow or like a rainbow of sorts, but, you know, with with only a few colors in it. Um, and the bulk of it, you know, it's, it's covering a little over a thousand years. Okay. And it's just this huge semicircle. And the bulk of it is of course, the time of the galactic Republic, which it, it very clearly says around a thousand years. Okay. Uh, th- you know, that it existed before, um, a new hope started that that's how long the Republic had been around. Now it calls it the galactic Republic. And then before the galactic Republic, there's a little segment in yellow that's kind of pointing down inferring that, that there's a very long span of time before that there is what's called the old Republic. Now 
normally you would say, well, wait a minute, in A New Hope, Obi-Wan Kenobi is talking about the, you know, the Old Republic, like that he served the Old Republic. But if it's the Galactic Republic and that went for a thousand years and then there's another republic before that called the Old Republic, what the fuck's going on here, right? Um, and in the graphic, within this, this semicircle graphic in this book, it says very clearly uh, within the Galactic Republic, which is the bulk of the time that it covers, it says during the Galactic Empire, the Galactic Republic was also sometimes known as the Old Republic. So they're kind of solving that. And I mean, and this is something a lot of this retroactive stuff has been going on with Star Wars for a little while. Like, is it the Clone Wars? Why call it the Clone Wars? There's really only one war. Or is it called the Clone War? And sometimes, you know, you'll hear Yoda call it the Clone War instead of Clone Wars. It, I mean, it's just confusing shit. Um, I remember the first time, I think it was in episode two, where uh, Emperor, or well, at the time, Chancellor Palpatine very clearly says that, yeah, the Republic had stood for a thousand years. And I'm like, wait a minute. I thought it stood for like tens of thousands of years. Like this, this doesn't make any fucking sense. Of course, at the time you had the, you know, kind of the original EU, um, you know, extended uh, or yeah, expanded universe. So now here it is. And I know it, it had kind of been clarified before and I kind of knew what it was saying. But here it is in, in a canon context that that's the deal when you're talking about like the galactic republic that's only been around for a thousand years but then before that there was some kind of you know giant old republic which again if we're lucky maybe the tv show uh that we mentioned the live action tv show will cover i don't care if an animated show does it either but i i think uh you know doing something as much as i hate game of thrones doing something game of thrones style with star wars Oh, that would be very, very interesting with lightsabers and the, and the whole business. You know, I don't think we'll end up with, you know, meeting characters like uh, Ula Keldroma or anything like that or Nomi Sunrider from, uh, of course, people may remember the Tales of the Jedi series, which is a phenomenal comic book series from uh, from Dark Horse back with the old expanded universe. Uh, but I think that would be a great time. Now, I do just want to point out, and we'll get to it later, the centerpiece of the Star Wars update is definitely going to be uh, The Legends of Luke Skywalker, which is part of the Journey to the Last Jedi uh, uh, collection of media being released. Um, we will get to that later. I have some problems with it, some of which I hinted at at the uh, November live Hangout Q&A. But regardless, um, let's shake it up. Let's let's talk about Rebels, because this is, you know, talk about some really, really good news. Uh, well, you know, quick, actually speaking of journey to, to the last Jedi, you know, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little peeved the, the, again, this is something that's been going on with star Wars for a while. I'm kind of hoping after episode eight, it stops, uh, because they're trying to keep all these secrets who are raised parents, blah, blah, blah. You know, all, all this, you know, what is going on with Luke Skywalker, yada, yada, yada. And of course we'll touch on that a little bit more later, but I'm annoyed that we can't get the fucking like the. You know, like I said, I've said this many times, soundtracks, including for Star Wars, used to come out like a month in advance from when the movie is supposed to come out. No, instead, the soundtrack is going to come out on December 15th, which I, which I'm actually and a lot of other people are seeing the movie on December 14th, you know, kind of the day previous. OK, because of, you know, varying rules with theaters that you can pull that off. Um, so that that sucks. OK, <laughs> that, that we won't get the soundtrack until after I see the movie, because um, I love it's one of my favorite things to do is to listen to the soundtrack before I go see the movie, get the purity of the soundtrack and then kind of look for the hints of it as I watch the film. It, it really makes for a much richer experience uh, for me. And actually, I think it kind of helped me survive Blade Runner 2049, because I know for some people and I, I recognize it in theaters like if you if, 
the soundtrack came off awfully strange with that. But, you know, when you listen to it raw, it was, you know, it was way more enjoyable. So anyway, it kind of sucks. That I won't get that. But also I pre-ordered um, the the visual, uh, the visual guide for uh, speaking of a couple other books. I pre-ordered the visual guide for The Last Jedi and I pre-ordered the. Um, what is it, the visual guide? Or and and the like the the cross sections in the visual dictionary like the, the both of those uh or yeah the visual guide and the cross sections I ordered both of those those also don't come out till the fucking fifteenth now I'm kind of also used to reading at least some kind of books that talk about something uh, to to a degree of depth that's going to happen in the Star Wars movie I'm about to watch now I did get of course and I re- I think I reviewed this in um in the last star wars update i did get absolutely everything you need to know about star wars which was also released as part of the journey to the last jedi and does have it like had some interesting tidbits about snoke uh you know supreme leader snoke of the first order and some other things but yeah I, it kind of sucks like the day after i'm just gonna have to like well i mean i guess it's going to extend my star wars enjoying experience over a day uh at least but yeah whatever so anyway, but I will be I will also be reviewing those books. I won't be I probably won't review the books in I, I'm, I'm sure I'll mention them, but I won't review them in the Sovereign Tech Prime episode where I do the full review of The Last Jedi. But for December's Star Wars update, which will be more towards the end of the month, I will review uh, those books as well. Uh, you know, as far as I mean, really, though, as far as the the nonfiction and as far as like the kind of uh, reference books and reference guides and all that that uh, Lucasfilm has been putting out since the rebooted canon. I mean, they've been great. Like, I I really don't have much in the way of complaints of any of them, except for the Star Wars Rebels visual dictionaries uh, or visual guides. Those are, they're not really like giving you a breakdown of what makes up the ghost and what makes up, you know, all the different ships and everything. I mean, it was more, it was definitely geared towards kids. So those are kind of, I have them, but there's, there's two of them and they haven't released one for season three or season four. And I would really love one for season four, particularly um, it's been pretty annoying or, you know, those are annoying, but otherwise the, all the reference guides have been great. I mean, just really, really high end productions. Uh, of course they had been before Disney took over, but whatever they're good now so anyway speaking of rebels rebel season four let's talk about it uh we got the you know kind of first half as it were of uh season four of rebels and some of the episodes we reviewed uh the first two parters i i believe it was actually no i I think we might have reviewed the first six episodes um of of season four of rebels in the last star Wars update that we did for Patreon, uh, for sovereign tech and the, the last few episodes the you know, kind of the second half of the first half of the season four, I know it's all getting very confusing. Uh, we're, we're pretty good too. Like I, I, I enjoyed them. Um, especially, uh, the, the kind of the, the mid season finale that being rebel assault, I thought was, was incredible. Uh, everything that they're that they were playing off um, they they have been doing such a phenomenal job you know it's amazing how quickly how quickly we love the character of Hera I mean I, I always enjoyed her anyway and you can go back to previous Star Wars updates where where I talk about that but like they're really playing that character up and they're giving her some some very special places of honor uh, in fact we'll be talking about that a little bit more because we also will review the kind of the second volume of forces of destiny the series of uh, animated shorts uh, that disney has uh, has been making so anyway uh the the second half of um of the of star wars rebels season four 
Uh, yeah, I mean, they're they're just, you know, they're upping the ante on everything. You know, the action is tremendous. You're getting a lot of starfighter battles, which matter. Uh, I, I really don't have any complaints with where they're going with this show. My only complaint is, is that I wish that they were going in this direction, that they were taking it this seriously, uh, you know, beforehand, like, like way ahead, way ahead of now, <laughs> you know, like, why did we have to wait until season four for the show to really kind of find its focus? And that seems to be what's going on with rebels. Now is now it has absolute focus, probably because in fact, it kind of reminds me of Babylon five season four, where in season four, of Babylon five, so J. Michael Straczynski, the creator, writer and creator, he he didn't know if he'd get a season five. And so he had to take the two main storylines, which he had left for the for the five year run of the show. And those storylines being the Shadow War and then the uh, Earth Earth Alliance Civil War. And he had to combine them into season four. And so many people remember like season four of Babylon five is just being like this intense nonstop. Holy shit. That was incredible. And it was because there was so much focus because you couldn't you couldn't waste a moment. Every moment had to be some kind of action. It had to be something going on. And I think that uh, season four of Rebels is doing is very much having to go through the same thing. I don't know what originally what time frame what timetable that Dave Filoni originally had in mind for the show. Uh, but it's working and we're getting, you know, we're again, we're, we're definitely feeling uh, the, the closeness to, uh, to rogue one, to the movie rogue one, which is uh, really cool. So yeah, no, no real complaints, no, no major reviews, just rebel assault was, was such a cool episode and it was cool that it had that name too. Like I, I got to give credit, uh, you know, to, to that name. I think that, you know, calling a rebel assault, which was one of my, uh, Rebel Assault 2, particularly, there was two games that came out in the 90s that were very popular. They were kind of this mixture of, well, Rebel Assault 1 didn't have this, but Rebel Assault 2 had. It was a mixture of full motion video and kind of on the rails, what they call on the rails gameplay. Um, I love Rebel Assault, Rebel Assault 2. I love the story. I love the action. I love the full motion video. I love everything about it. I think it's a ton of fun. Um, I would be totally on board with the Rebel Assault 3 uh, at some point in the future. Um, in fact, for PlayStation, it was like, I remember it was like one of the first games I ever got for PlayStation, even though I did have it for PC as well. And there was a lot of fun little cheat codes you could put in the PC version. But anyway, um, it was cool to call it Rebel Assault. I thought that was a nice little uh, homage. And of course, we got a lot of action with in, in season four of Rebels. Well, a couple things. One is we got to see a lot of the TIE Defender, which of course comes from uh, TIE Fighter, which is, um, you know, there's a part of me that is just getting closer and closer to saying that TIE Fighter you know, let's, I mean, it's a game, but let's call it software. It only came out for PC uh, or what I'm going to call TIE fighter boxes from now on. Um, <laughs> that TIE fighter is just like one of the single most important pieces of software ever developed for a computer. Like when you start talking about, oh, the spreadsheet, oh, the word processor, oh, Microsoft Windows and all this other stuff. I think in a top 10 list of most important pieces of software ever made for computers, I think TIE Fighter deserves to be there and it deserves to be pretty fucking high on that list, maybe even at the top. I'm, I'm not I'm not even like I'm, I'm half kidding uh, that that game, especially after the bullshit that's been going on with Battlefront 2, which we talked about in Somtech Prime episodes, uh, that that game, like its importance and just how goddamn good it is and still is. Uh, is is really really coming to fore even more now. I, you know, fr frankly, I wouldn't mind if, um, especially now that we have the reintroduction of the of the Tide Defender in uh, Rebel seasons four, or I mean, really in season three they were showing it off. But I wouldn't mind if they, you know, they could do just just do an HD remaster of Tie Fighter. 
you know, for, for modern consoles and modern systems and everything. And I think that that would just be fine and dandy and fuck let's make all, you know, what was it? Marquette steel. Was that the, the character that you played as in, um, in, in tie fighter, you know, make him make a cannon. Let's do it. You know, and all the, you know, the profits of the dark side and everything that you get to work with within the game. Let's fucking make a cannon. Let's make it the real deal. Uh, I would love that if they if they did that I, I think that would be pretty awesome so anyway uh thrawn of course you know comes back in a big way particularly in the later half of the first half of um of rebel season four uh great to see thrawn thrawn is firing on all thrusters in my opinion uh probably i mean you know it's always tough to say this sort of thing but if not my favorite star wars character certainly in my top three you know, I mean, like like right up there with Princess Leia and whoever else. Thrawn is so cool. And we now know there was actually and, and I guess nobody noticed this, but there was an interview like a year ago with Dave Filoni where he admitted that Thrawn would like live past the events of uh, of A New Hope. Um, and I mean, we don't know anything beyond that, but that was, and, I, and I've talked about this in previous Star Wars updates. I was very concerned that they were going to kill off Thrawn and that would have been just such a fucking waste. That was a, a mistake in my opinion that, um, the expanded universe made. In fact, they tried to make up for it with the little hand of Thrawn duology, uh, that Timothy Zahn wrote, I think was that in the aughts or maybe late nineties, um, because Thrawn was such a popular character. Like Disney can really set this right and just leave Thrawn alive. You know, make him very, very much alive and hell, make him alive all the way into, uh, you know, into episode eight, and nine, for fuck's sake, like go, go right ahead. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see on that. But at least now we know Thrawn is not going to die at the end. I mean, it's you know, this shouldn't be a spoiler alert. There's going to be spoiler alerts across the board here, folks, if you haven't read or consumed any of this material, um, you know, watched whatever. Uh, but. Yeah, it's good to know that he's he's going to survive all this because that's the last thing I needed. I mean, when when Filoni announced that Thrawn would be coming back in season three, I mean, that that was such such a boon. That was so huge. It really enlivened uh, the show and gave it a lot of depth and meaning and importance. Uh, not that it didn't have it before, but, you know, just took it to the next level and to just kill him off you know, on this show and make it not such a big deal, especially when oftentimes we get limited time with the character. Oh, that would have been a fucking waste. So good for them for, for not wasting uh, any, any real time with that. Uh, so Thrawn has been really cool. Now we did get a lot of introduction to the Loth wolves. I, I think that's how we would say it, right? The Loth wolves instead of the Loth cats, like the white Loth cat, follow the white Loth cat, very Alice in Wonderland. That should be disturbing, but whatever i don't expect people to get that but now you have like these loth wolves and i, I, I don't know i don't know i i know i know feloni's got a thing for wolves i don't mind it it's fine it's just they really got to pay off this tease with these loth wolves and, and kind of explain what's what what's happening there um because you know even on a, on a cool factor i don't think they're as cool as the is it the vulpex is that what they they said those crystal wolves that you see in the trailers for the last jedi on um you know, you was it on Cantobite or whatever on that plant. Well, Cantobite's like the, like the casino more, right? Uh, but a crate that that's that crate, right? That's the, the name of the planet or whatever. Um, anyway, Vol the Vulpex, like those look awesome. The Lothwolves, uh, I'm not entirely sold. I don't know. It's, it's just, it's coming off all is, is very, is very weird. And fortunately, like I said, it does seem like rebel season four has a lot of focus going for it. So hopefully Filoni will give us some kind of answers on all that. And of course, we're all hoping to see Ahsoka, uh, come back, um, you know, for, for this action. So, and I mean, and people are wondering who, you know, who's going to survive all this. Are characters going to end up dying from star Wars rebels? Is Kane and Jarrus going to die? You know, who, who's, is, 
is Ezra Bridger going to make it through? I, I have to believe Ezra is going to make it. You know, Sabine going to make it? Um, you know, who, who's going to survive all this? Well, we do have one answer. So Rebel season four, so far, so good. It's it's doing great. It's, it's a nice send-off season, in my opinion, um, and very much mimicking what the later seasons of Clone Wars were going through, where suddenly Clone Wars really found its footing towards the end, and then you just kept wanting more. And I think we're going to be feeling the same way, is that we just want more Rebels, more Rebels. Well, you can kind of get that because one character that we now know is actually going to survive, um, well, at least to the point of Return of the Jedi, uh, is actually um, is the character of, you know, Hera Syndulla, uh, who becomes a general. We get the you know, we get the moment in in season four so far of Rebels where she gets her uh, her promotion to general. Of course, we knew she would be or we had found out in Rogue One because, you know, you over here on, Yav- on Yavin base where somebody says General Syndulla report to whatever. And we're like, well, is that is that her dad, Cham? Like, like, who's General Syndulla? And of course, it was confirmed that it was Hera. That was General Hera Syndulla. Um, and she so so General Syndulla uh, happens to be in now over throughout October and into parts of November. There was the second volume of the Forces of Destiny series, which I reviewed the first volume uh, previously, which was like, I don't know, 10, 11 episodes, whatever. They're just these like two and a half minute or so or three minute uh, animated shorts where they get sometimes they get like like Daisy Ridley will actually voice Ray. Um, they'll get actors, voice actors that were involved with Clone Wars or whatever's relevant, whoever they can try and get. They don't always get all the big names like uh, there's one in particular with Harrison Dula that has um, that has Han Solo in it and Princess Leia. Obviously, they did not get Harrison Ford to voice Han Solo. But, you know, the person they got to was was very passable. Uh, but there was uh, in fact, it was a funny one. So this, the second volume, there's you get an episode. I mean, some of these episodes are really cool. There's an episode where Jin Erso and um Sabine Wren, uh, you know, kind of meet up. That was really cool. Um, you get some more, you get some great action or some, some really cool. Well, all right, I'm going to save. I want to talk about the, the, one of the main ones, which is the one with Han Solo in it. And it's called an Imperial feast. I think it's the 16th episode of, uh, well, I guess they're calling it season one, but in many ways they're volume two. They, they did like this full volume, volume one and volume two releases, which were like these two half hour episodes, which started off with a little custom narration, uh, by, um, by Maz Kanata, who, of course, does like the little opening narration for each little episode. But she did something where she's like out camping, I'm guessing, on Tokodana or something, you know, on her planet. Uh, but anyway, so you have. So, yeah, so this is all season one, but they did kind of make it into two volumes, you know, two full on sort of episodes that you could watch. And that's a great way to consume it. And you can find them on YouTube, on the, the Disney YouTube channel, not on the Star Wars YouTube channel. But anyway, uh, so uh, an Imperial Feast, which is part of volume two. This this was this is pretty funny. Again, Leia's in it, Han's in it, and they bring up the point that I've brought up countless times. Anytime I've talked about Star Wars, and of course, because what's the first thing that people ask you when you talk about Star Wars? They say, "Hey, what's uh, you know what's your favorite Star Wars movie?" Mine is Return of the Jedi. Hey, you know, and really has been for I don't know about as far back as I can remember. I mean, I get the I get the arguments for Empire Strikes Back, believe me, but I just think Return of the Jedi is awesome. Um, and one of the complaints against Return of the Jedi, why it's not the favor for other people, is the Ewoks. Oh, they're cute and cuddly. Oh, it's a marketing thing. Yeah, it's definitely a marketing thing. But the cute and cuddly part, I think you're dead wrong if that's some kind of complaint. These are people that, or these are creatures that eat humans. They were about to eat Han Solo. Now, in the beginning, spoiler alerts, in the beginning of um, an Imperial Feast of, you know, Forces of Destiny, 
there's a point where the Ewoks are putting the stormtroopers that they've captured, you know, after the Battle of Endor. It takes place after Return of the Jedi. They're putting the stormtroopers like over the over an open fire. They're going to eat the stormtroopers. And of course, Leia tries to put a stop to it and all that. And Han has to help out. And there's a point where Han has to go interact um, with with General Sindulu, you know, with Hera. And so it, it was really cool. I mean, first off, it's very rare that we get any like post Return of the Jedi pre Force Awakens kind of content. So that was nice in and of itself. And again, folks, this is canon. Understand that all these little cartoons are canon. Um, and it was just so great, though, to see Hera. And it was like, oh, awesome. OK, so she survives all this business. You know, we could end up seeing Hera in episode eight. I, I mean, you know, for all intents and purposes or episode nine. Uh, awesome. You know, that that was really cool. So it's a it's a fun little story. But I love the fact that they touched on that. Yeah, no, these these Ewoks are fucking vicious and they'll eat Imperials. You know, they'll eat whatever they want. And uh, and, and so it was good to get that recognition um, that that was going on, that these are not just cute and cuddly creatures. So, you know, kudos to, to Lucasfilm for, for putting that together. Uh, then there was another one that was really cool where you ended up with another story between uh, Yoda, Ahsoka and Anakin Skywalker. And of course, uh, you know, Matt Lanter was there to voice Anakin Skywalker. And obviously, Ashley Eckstein is voicing Ahsoka. Uh, and it was really cool. It was showing Ahsoka learning how to use the twin lightsabers that she's become so known for. Um, and and it was like it was really cool to to learn, you know, like what's the idea? What's the idea behind that? And, you know, how exactly does that work? What's the purpose for it? And and having her versus Yoda, which is what you get in the episode again inside of like three minutes uh, was actually pretty fucking epic and pretty cool. Like, I, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, the other the other ones that they did, there were plenty where. Um, there were starfighter battles, which this is the thing. This is a point that I want to bring up with forces of destiny. And I want to bring up with uh, star Wars rebels overall uh, as well. And that is, I don't, and, and maybe somebody finally told, and, and maybe they had to experiment to, to really like cement this point and to really, and for Lucasfilm to really understand this point. Okay. That is like what makes star Wars, star Wars is wars in the stars. What I mean by that, I'm not just saying that to be kind of quiche. What I mean by that is you need starfighter battles. That's what's really exciting about Star Wars. And and it, look, it is. I mean, what's been, you know, uh, uh, exciting outside of lightsabers, what's been in the force, what's been exciting Star Wars fans forever is flying around the Millennium Falcon, flying around an X-Wing, flying around a TIE fighter, whatever it ends up happening to be. You know, like that's what you think of really when you think of Star Wars. And I think that the first volume of um uh, of forces of destiny i think a lot of people felt it was really boring because and, and i think a lot of people felt that that a lot of aspects of um of other things that were done especially during the prequel era were kind of boring because there weren't those grand giant starfighter battles you know or or they didn't have to be that huge but there weren't like the you know where it was very starfighter centric uh uh you know battles going on and in in volume two of forces of destiny, they really solve that. In fact, there's the episode with Padme, which is really cool because you see her with an N1 Naboo starfighter and it's all chrome, right? Because, you know, it represents that she's royalty or a politician of some kind, whatever. Um, and I mean, that that was that was a lot of fun, you know, to see her going through kind of starfighter training and everything. But to finally for them to get it, because I mean, that that was my first thought when I watched the first few episodes of forces of destiny. I was like, ah, they're 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 
they got to know, like, you can't just make the stuff. You got to you got to give a starfighter battles or something if you want to get people excited. And in volume two, I think they delivered that. And I think in Rebel season four, they have been heavily delivering that, you know, with Hera. You know, finally, we got to see X-Wings in in battle for the first time on Rebels, Uh, you know, all, all kinds of this other stuff like you've got that's. You know, that, I think that's what excited everybody about the second half of Rogue One, because it's like, fuck, yes, here we go. Starfighter battles. Let's do this. And yeah, I, I mean, that that is so quintessential to what makes Star Wars exciting that a lot of other science fiction doesn't do, because a lot of other science fiction has to do with big lumbering starships. Nothing wrong with that. But it's it's a different you know, it's a different recipe than what comprises Star Wars. And of course, George Lucas himself, you know, made it very clear that he based a lot of what he did in Star Wars, um, a lot of the war aspects of Star Wars on World War II, you know, and like these World War II, you know, dogfights um, and all this. And and it, it just, it, com- it, it shows, you know, it really shows. And it really, you fe- it's amazing how much more you feel like you're watching Star Wars as soon as the Starfighter, Starfighter battle happens, even inside of a three-minute animated short or within, say, a season of, of, a, of a Star Wars show like Rebels in season four. So kudos for, for Lucasfilm for, I think, figuring out just what exactly is the recipe that makes people feel like, oh, yeah, motherfucker, I'm watching Star Wars. So uh, right on as, as far as that goes. All right, so let's shift gears, and I want to talk about something that doesn't get talked about enough. Um, there's some, there's a couple Star Wars podcasts that will do it, but it's really not covered enough by the Star Wars community in general. Um, and that is the comic books, which is always, which historically, comic books have been a real strong suit uh, for Star Wars, especially during Dark Horse's run, even towards the end. Like it was amazing just how, for how many years, nay decades, that in fact, I mean, like it was over two decades that Dark Horse kept the Star Wars comic books so uh, exciting, so refreshing and so invigorating. Um, even there, and it's kind of like it kind of sucks that like what happened when when Disney bought out uh, uh, Lucasfilm, you know, from George Lucas. Dark Horse was really I mean, they like they were on a tear. They had their their, you know, their new title, which they had just called Star Wars, which had been running for a little over a year. And it was some of the best Star Wars comic books ever. And then, you know, Disney owns Marvel. So when Disney bought Star Wars, they they transferred everything over to Marvel. Of course, there's, you know, Darth Maul, Son of Dathomir, which Dark Horse got to run out. That's canon. But otherwise, everything else that that dark, you know, the Dark Horse had done for that 20 years, 20 plus years, uh, you know, was no longer canon. And so, well, anyway, that's why we have legends, I guess. Uh, but Star Wars comics are so important because Star Wars is, as much, like I said, you know, starfighter battles are 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 huge. Um, but also, you know, it's just it's such a visual medium far more, you know, and I've said this many, many times. Star Wars does not work well, really, as novels. I mean, it can pull it off and sometimes it can be really good, but you know, it, it does. It's not as strong as it's not as strong as it can be when it's a visual medium, like, say, animated uh, shows, movies or comic books, particularly, you know, and, and things like this. It, it just somehow it, it really fits. And maybe it's because of the Starfighter battles. Maybe Starfighter battles are just really hard to write. And maybe that's why most science fiction doesn't have a whole ton of Starfighters involved, because it's such a pain in the ass to kind of like describe. And, you know, and you, he moved 65 degrees to the, you know, to starboard and yeah, I don't know, whatever. I don't know how the hell that would work. But regardless. Um, this, you know, the comic books for Star Wars have been admittedly with under, you know, Disney slash Marvel's tenure have been kind of touch and go there. There's been some golden moments like Lando, uh, has been, was probably, and I think still 
the best comic book series that they've put out. And that was a limited uh, series. But it's been very touch and go. Uh, you know, that's the one that everybody kind of points to where, holy fuck, that was awesome. Um, but anyway, so a few that I, and I've been wanting to review these for a while uh, that I want to get into. There's the Captain Phasma series that I want to talk about. There's Screaming Citadel, which was kind of a crossover series between the main Star Wars comic, uh, Star Wars Ongoing and uh, the Dr. Afra comic. And then there's also the new, uh, I guess, the volume two they really should have given it another name. Then there's the new Darth Vader series, which is right now is up to issue eight um, that I'd like to talk about as well. Um, I mean, there's Poe Dameron and all that stuff, which that that's actually a fairly solid series. Like I, I haven't read an issue of that that I didn't enjoy, uh, but I'm not going to review that at the moment. So anyway, let's start off with um, with Screaming Citadel. I think this was Screaming Citadel, which when it went a few issues, it went like six issues or so. Uh, again, it was a crossover between Dr. Afra's uh, series and which is a, t- a very touch and go series and um, and the Star Star Wars ongoing. So you get all the big characters. You get, you know, Sana Staros or who you know you thought was Sana Solo. Um, you know, Chewbacca's there. Um, you're getting Han Solo, Princess Leia, Luke Skywalker. Um, and you have, uh, you know, of course, the Dr. Afra characters, that being Dr. Afra herself was Shelly. Was that her name? Shelly, Shelly Afra. And uh, in her two droids, which are just dynamite characters that that Marvel came up with, um, that being triple zero, which is kind of like an evil version of C-3PO and uh, uh, BT, which is like an evil, highly heavily armed. In fact, triple zero calls it a Death Star on wheels, uh, you know, evil version of R2-D2, which is a lot of fun. Uh, like, I love those two characters. They're so wild. And uh, another character that's common in the uh, in the Dr. Afro series is in it. And that's a uh, black uh, Karen Stan. I don't I, I Cran Stan. How, how, how are the fuck they say his name? <laughs> But, you know, that giant gray Wookiee that that is really badass. Uh, So Screaming Citadel has that's the cast of characters and they are going to this uh, planet where there is this queen that can supposedly like like you really want to one night out of the year. uh, She hosts people on her planet, which has a very unpronounceable name. In fact, Dr. Afra makes a joke about it, saying don't try to pronounce it. Um, and you go to, you know, the, the idea is that you go to her planet. She likes to collect unique life forms. OK. And so everybody goes there and they bring her unique life forms from around the galaxy to curry her favor and maybe like get some kind of favor from her, perhaps. And particularly what happens is Dr. Afra wants to if you read the Dr. Afra series before, she finds this like immortal Jedi crystal like or this Jedi that's supposedly encoded into a crystal named Rur from like, you know, Uh, anyway, there's a whole story around that that I'm not going to get into, but she wants to talk to this Jedi more and she hears somehow that, uh, that the queen of, of the screaming Citadel, we'll just say that, that she can, um, you know, she, she can somehow unlock, uh, or has the ability to probably unlock this, this crystal so she can talk to this Jedi, uh, uh, I mean, it's not like a holocron, but it's kind of close. So anyway, um, she, you know, she needs to bring some kind of unique life form. And so what she figures out to do is, of course, after her dealings with Darth Vader and Darth Vader's hunt for Luke Skywalker, she finds out, you know, she figures out that Luke Skywalker is a Jedi uh, or Jedi in training of some kind anyway. And she wants to bring this force sense, you know, this highly force sensitive human being, that being Luke, uh, to the queen as kind of the, um, you know, (laughs) he's going to be her her donation so that she can unlock this crystal with the Jedi Roar in it. And 
you know, it's it's a fun series. What really stands out on this, and and it ends up becoming a mission where you know Han and and Sana and uh, which Sana Solo has actually become a very cool character. By the way, one of my big issues with the Star Wars ongoing comic was the first like ten or twelve was all about it had this dumb subplot where supposedly Han Solo was married to this woman named Sana Sana Solo. And it was a like it wasn't a dumb subplot. It just went way too long. Like they spent way too many issues and it was so frustrating to fucking read. It's like, look, just fucking tell us what the fuck is going on. It's so it's so crazy. And so for a while, I actually didn't like the character of Sana so much. Uh, now I, I actually really like her. And in fact, uh, Screaming Citadel makes it abundantly clear that Sana is bisexual, uh, which I think is is great. You know, uh, because she has, you know, she mentions uh, an affair. It, it's made very apparent that she had an affair with uh, um, with someone who we also got hints at in her series that she was lesbian. That being Dr. Afra, um, because she makes that one comment to the um, to that that imperial, that female imperial commander. Uh, I mean, now we know. So we know San is bisexual. We know that uh, Dr. Afra herself is at least lesbian. She might be some of the comments she made towards Luke. She might actually be bisexual herself. I think this is great. Like, I, I think this is fantastic that Star Wars is openly putting this stuff in there, even though, yeah, it's not necessarily happening in the movies where, where it would be really impressive. Um, but it's happening in the comic books. And, you know, those are pretty premier formats for Star Wars, like I said. And so, you know, I'm, I'm glad that it's there. But regardless. Uh, so Sana was 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 pretty cool in this, you know, and Han and Leia and everybody, you know, becomes a part of uh, of the whole story. Now, this is very much and I've talked about Screaming Citadel Citadel for a while. Obviously, it took, you know, three, four months for it to come to completion. Um, this is very much like, uh, uh, you know, there's the in the gaming world, there's what's called Metroidvania, which means that a game is like Metroid or Castlevania. This is Star Wars Vania. OK, <laughs> where it's Star Wars and a mixture, obviously, of Castlevania. And that is not a bad thing because the style of Castlevania. Look, there's a reason Castlevania has like its own kind of game uh, 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 genre named after it. not just franchise genre, because it's so memorable. It works so well, kind of the haunting, but almost simplistic nature of it and everything. And mixing in that 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 visual style anyway, and that feel into into Star Wars. You know, at first people were wondering, hey, is this actually going to work? First issue, first issue was all right, but is this going to can we pull this off? Oh, they pulled it off. And it, I thought it was so cool. It was so much fun to have kind of this vampiric sort of character, which is what you find out the queen is in the Screaming Citadel. Um, and there's like this uh, biological, like this parasite creature that even the Empire hates uh, that becomes a big part of the story and everything. And this was kind of unique, too. So there's like there's this parasite kind of reminds you of um, the, the creature from SETI Alpha 5, the the worm from uh, uh, from Star Trek 2, the Wrath of Khan, um, where, where this creature can take over your mind effectively. And I was amazed, like this was getting pretty dangerous. I thought this was very bold of them to do. They, they had moments where this, you know, parasite that could take over a mind actually went on Han Solo. I would have never expected them to do that. Han Solo was a bad guy for, you know, was a villain in this series for, you know, two, three issues of it. And I was shocked. Like I was, I was like, wow, you're, you're really good. I mean, because the way they were describing the dangers of this parasite of the mind, you know, mind controlling parasite. Uh, which I love those kind of stories. And anyway, you know, like that mind control kind of parasite thing, um, not just in Star Wars, like across the board. So it was cool to have that in, in Star Wars as well. Granted, you know, bringing in that kind of genre that is sort of a, a subgenre of its own uh, niche genre, I should say. 
but like I was just I, I you know you, the way it was described once a person gets this thing on them it's fucking over and you know for them to do it to Han Solo you're like uh well we know Han Solo is going to be fine but it was just amazing that they went there you know that they they took the moment to, to let Han Solo be a bad guy for a while and I thought that that was really well done the series was hilarious it was it was laugh out loud funny at points especially with two characters i mentioned kind of the evil droids you know or not kind of they are uh they love being called it two evil droids uh triple zero and bt they were so funny i mean they were just so goddamn funny um yeah it was it was a great series um and i loved getting that different feel that different vibe in star wars Star one of Star Wars strengths outside of comic books, obviously, that's a strength for it. But one of Star Wars strengths really has always been um, the fact that it, it's a mishmash, like it's taking all of the best parts of pop culture, of popular of, of storytelling and everything and all these different genres and whatever, and just blending them to, you know, tossing them into a blender and making the greatest protein shake of all time. Right. That's really one of the strengths of Star Wars. And I felt like Screaming Citadel was one of the first times in a long time where Star Wars really took that leap. Probably the last time I felt that that leap really happened with Star Wars was um, was a Coruscant Nights. There was a series of Dash Rendar, which I love Dash Rendar. Uh, you know, Shadows of the Empire, fuck yeah, baby, all the way. Um, it was like a two-book series, I think it was. It was Coruscant Nights. It was towards the end of, you know, just before Disney ended up buying it out. But they went with a full-on kind of Blade Runner, you know, neo-noir, film, you know, film noir kind of style. They were novels, of course, but it worked. It, it fit. And because that style lend its, lends itself well um, to, you know, to the written word, actually. So it was so nice to see some experimentation with that. Of course, there was another one before, you know, before uh, Course on Nights. There was uh, Death Troopers, right, where Star Wars kind of got into the zombie realm. Which that was cool, too. Like, I thought that that was and, and they even had another one it was a red plague or something that came after that. Anyway, like, I, I like it when Star Wars tries to get into other genres. And this was, you know, an attempt, a slight attempt at horror, definitely playing off of a Castlevania style. And I think it fucking worked. I thought it was brilliant. Um, I'd probably if there's a top five, say, storylines or miniseries, because Screaming Citadel also had its own uh, one shots within it. It wasn't just like. I mean, it was a mixture between like it was Dr. Afra number 12 and I, I forget which what series numbers it was because um, I, I read it over again in the trade paperback format. Uh, but it kind of stands on its own. And and I, I would put it, you know, like up with Lando and, you know, those kind of series. I think it totally fits in with that series uh, or, you know, fits in as like right now in the top five storylines that have been told in Star Wars comics, uh, in my opinion, maybe even number two. I, I thought it was that great. It was that much fun. Uh, artistry is phenomenal. All of that it, it really delivered and fired on all cylinders. I, I hope to see Star Wars experiment a lot more with that again in the future. Um so, all right, next uh, next comic book series. Uh, let, let's talk about uh, The Last Jedi. Or, well, no, let, let, all right, let's talk about Darth Vader. So Darth Vader, I'll call it Darth Vader Volume 2 because we had a previous Darth Vader that went for a 24-issue run. That was pretty good. You know, it, like, I mean, it, it had its highs and lows. Uh, the Vader Down series was, I don't know, some people liked it. I kind of felt like it was a little bit of a low. But anyway, so Volume 2 of Darth Vader, this started a few months ago. And we talked about it on Star Wars Update, like the first three issues we covered. They're up to issue issue 8 right now. Um and, you know, effort like right out of the gate, it was it was phenomenal, even though there was a lot of debate over because it starts right off. So volume two, Darth Vader's is a prequel to A New Hope, uh, and it takes place well before volume one of Darth Vader. It, it 
it, it fits in. It takes place like right after episode three. In fact, it opens up at the scene where Darth Vader becomes Darth Vader. You know, he does this whole no, you know, all that stuff. And there was a lot of controversy over the fact that it seemed like in the comic books, the scene went a little bit differently. Like the emperor gets slammed against the wall when, when he kind of breaks out when Vader, you know, does his Frankenstein thing and breaks out of this chair uh, or the, you know, the platform that he's on. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you, you know, you're kind of you're trying to make this moment cooler than maybe you felt George Lucas had done it, which I didn't mind how George Lucas, Lucas did it, whatever. Uh, so, yeah, but I mean, but it, it came out straight. It came out hitting hard. I mean, it, it really did right from the first issue, right, the first couple issues, you know, and Palpatine. One of the beauties of this entire series is that you're getting such an insight into how Palpatine thinks and I think that's what's making it very enjoyable. This is probably probably the best running comic for Star Wars right now, as far as titles go. You know, I mean, right now we, we have Poe Dameron, we have Star Wars ongoing, we have Dr. Aphra, um, there's Star Wars Adventures, whatever. Um, I mean, there's many series going, like the, the Mace Windu series is going right now, which I actually, I'm enjoying, um, you know, and, and there's some others. But as far as like a regular ongoing series, Darth Vader Volume 2 is definitely the best one running, like easily. If you wanted to start reading Star Wars comics right now, this is where you start, in my opinion. It, it's it's that solid, and it gives so much insight, including kind of covering some of the little things that some novels, like the Ahsoka novel and others, um, had hinted at, like how do the Sith make their lightsabers they make the crystals bleed and all that they talk about that which i don't mind that i i think that that that's fine um and there's a lot of other things you know that that you learn about the sith and that you learn about how like i said how palpatine thinks and i've said this this is another major uh, uh point kind of abstract point about what makes star wars work the most exciting stories the most exciting episodes the most exciting whatever the thing that always makes you take Star Wars a lot ser- a lot more serious and what really brings it to fore is whenever you encounter the Emperor. Not Chancellor Palpatine, not Senator Palpatine, Emperor Palpatine. When he gets on the scene, it's huge. And he is so all over, you know, the, this Darth Vader series. It's, it's really been enjoyable. Um, and... Right now, they're on kind of the second storyline within Volume 2, Darth Vader, where he is going after Jocasta Nu, um, who is the, you see her, I think, in Episode 2, where she is the uh, kind of the librarian at the Jedi Temple. Uh, she survived, and it, it's been a pretty cool story. Like, I, I, I've actually dug it in where she's trying to create. I'm curious to see where it's going to go, because you find out she's trying to create like a new school for Jedi. Um, and again, this is all happening, you know, between Episode 3 and Episode 4. Uh, and I don't know, something about that, like feels very much like Isaac Asimov's foundation. And I think it's, and it's really working and Vader is really badass in these, um, you know, in, in, in this entire series, like he's not slow. He's not lumbering, very badass. There's points where he's downright funny in the way that he interacts with people. Um, and you're really getting the early days of the empire. I mean, like there's, there's point, there's issues where, uh, within the series so far where, you know, you find out that, well, the clones know that they're going to end up getting replaced that, that, you know, they're, they're on retirement duty pretty much right now. Uh, and you know, so you, you get a really great hint into the time between episode three and I guess more particularly, I should say between episode three and rogue one. Um, and and well before Rebels as well, like it takes place right after the prequels. And that's the other thing I'm enjoying about it, too, is that it's paying a lot of nice homage to the prequels uh, and it's making it fit within kind of, you know, what more people recognize the original trilogy, kind of the time of the Galactic Empire. It's making it fit in very well with that. Uh, and so 
yeah, it, it's been a tremendous series. There's there's great action. Uh, there's there's like the, there's this point where I mean the the first the first uh, I think it's called the chosen one, which is the first storyline within Darth Vader Volume Two. Uh, he's he's tasked with, you know, Vader's tasked with by the Emperor to build to get a lightsaber. And in fact, they make it very clear that you know Sith don't make lightsabers; they take them. And so he needs to find a Jedi to. Um, you know, to, 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 to take his lightsaber and make it bleed. And so you get that entire storyline and he takes on this really uh, badass Jedi who's off on, what do they call it? Like a barrage vow where a Jedi no longer, you know, just goes off to, to be with the force and doesn't get involved with, uh, you know, with, the, with Jedi politics or anything like that, or the Jedi order in any way. And he, there's this, you know, Jedi master, master in and in is just like this, you know, like muscular, almost remi- reminds me of how they described uh, Jorah Saboth in uh, in Heir to the Empire, in the Heir to the in the Thrawn trilogy from uh, Timothy Zahn back in the expanded universe days, uh, and and it, it's a really really cool battle. I mean, like like tremendous action going on with lightsabers. Uh, very cool. I I wouldn't mind if they ever like put this in some kind of animated form. I think it would work. So, uh, so anyway, yeah, Darth Vader volume two, you definitely want to check that out. If you want to get a lot of like interesting insights into the Sith, what was going on between episodes three and rogue one, uh, or, you know, between episodes three and rebels, even, I guess I I could say, uh, you know, you, you get it. And Darth Vader is tremendous and the emperor is tremendous in it. Like you're just, they're, they're so cool. (laughs) I, I love it. There's like a million quotes from it that I, that I just, you know, I enjoy the hell out of it. And it really gives you a look into the mindset and it actually reconfirms what you find out sort of as a, as a side note in the book, in the novel Tarkin by James Lucino. Uh, in that you find out why is Palpatine doing what he's doing? Like, well, like what's, what's his end goal? You know, does he just want to conquer the universe or like, like what's, what's the deal? And what he really wants to do is he want to, he wants to be able to like literally shape through the force, shape the universe. And he has to have like total, total control, you know, right down to the you know ticking of the clocks effectively to be able to do that. That point gets reinforced in this series, which was also nice because like, if it seems like they almost said it as an afterthought, they spent like maybe a paragraph talking about it when it's the crux of the star Wars saga, as we know it, you know, like why is the emperor doing what the fuck he's doing? And you know, like what, what's his, what's his motivation. Right. And so, you know, you get that bolstered in volume two uh, as well. Now let's move on to the other uh, uh, short series that came out. Um, and that is uh, Phasma, Captain Phasma, or yeah, specifically, you know, Journey, uh, Journey to the Last Jedi, Captain Phasma. So it's part of that. Now, what I thought was interesting was that the kind of the guts of of Lucasfilm to at the same time, like because mo- this more or less started back in September. There's only like four issues to it, and it, and the series is done. The trade paperback's already out. Um, for for Disney or for Lucasfilm to in September they released. Uh, on Force Friday, they released the Phasma novel, which we reviewed on previous uh, Star Wars updates, which wasn't the best novel in the world. OK, they released the Phasma novel. And then, like, within the same date, they released the Captain Phasma comic book. And I was like, boy, you know, that's going to be really confusing. But now I don't think it's confusing. Now I think it makes sense how they how they did this, because events that happen. So the four issue Captain Phasma cop, comic book series and the novel Phasma, again, it doesn't have the captain prefix in front of it. Like they are kissing cousins. One makes one makes a whole hell of a lot more sense when you have the other. So when you read the Phasma book, you find out about Phasma's history, right? When you read the Captain Phasma comic book, you find out 
how is she, you know, how did she survive the events of The Force Awakens? How did she get away from Starkiller Base and all that? And the first issue, I've t- I reviewed the first issue previously. It was hilarious because, like, in 15 minutes it shows how she gets the hell out of there and everything. And then the rest of the comic book series is her trying to hunt down this guy named Sivas uh, or Silas, who knows that she's the one that lowered the shield on Starkiller Base and that she's the problem. And so it's her hunting him down. Uh, now, there's cool things that happen within this. You get the introduction to the kind of the Imperial version of the BB-8 models, which will be somewhat of a part of uh, of The Last Jedi. They've been, you know, kind of touted heavily um, by Star Wars media over the past few months. Uh, so you get the, you know, you get their little black rolling droids uh, there. It's cool that you find out there are, uh, you know, there are TIE pilots that are women uh, in the First Order. You know, we, we kind of we got that you find that on Star Wars Rebels that women can, you know, could be TIE fighter pilots and everything. But I mean, that's important. A lot of this stuff's important to bring up because I think beforehand you knew the Rebels had female pilots. But I don't think, you know, in the expanded universe, yeah, they would talk about it, you know, that that would happen. But like in the movies and all that and in, in the more prominent media, you never really got the hint that that there were you know women underneath those helmets. And now you're finding out. Absolutely. Yes, there is. Like even even stormtroopers, uh, when you read. Uh, the first the first Battlefront novel, not the Battlefront two uh, uh, novel that. Yeah, there, there's there's female stormtroopers. So it was kind of cool to get that. And, uh, you know, it, it gives you more of like in the Captain Phasma comic. It just hammers more home with the point that they were making in the Phasma novel that this is somebody who works completely for herself. She is all about survival. In fact, she like she kind of becomes, you know, she crash lands on this planet that's that's just tearing itself apart. And there's these survivors on there that remind her very much of her own life uh, before she joined the First Order, which is covered in the novel Phasma. Um, you know, she pretty much like spoiler alerts. She leaves all these people to their death like she raises this, these people up as an army just so she can kill this one guy, Silas, who knows the truth about her. And then, you know, this whole time she has this this tie pilot with her. Uh, and she's this really cool character that she has with her. She ends up killing her at the end. Like, I, I mean, she's just absolutely fucking ruthless and she's all about one person. I mean, she's such an egoist, right? <laughs> I'm kind of kidding. Um, you know, Captain Phasma is all about Phasma. That that's all, that's all she is. But like memories and things and flashbacks that happen in the comic book make a lot more sense and have a lot more depth after you read the Phasma novel. So I think those two things getting released next to each other was perfect because they are complementary pieces. And now I actually like, like I appreciate and I, I respect my time reading the Phasma novel. Well, listening to it, uh, now that I've read, you know, now that we have this four issue, uh, you know, story arc of captain Phasma. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they're really building up this character. Like I said, in previous Star Wars updates, you know, she's obviously going to be the kind of the new Boba Fett. Like that's that's sort of her sort of the idea. And I think that that's fine. I, and I think that that's cool. So uh, re- I think the the Captain Phasma comic book series is well worth reading. You don't have to read the Phasma novel. It's one of the weakest novels in the new canon. But you'll definitely appreciate it more if you read that before you read uh, the Captain Phasma uh, comic book series. So, all right, I think that that covers the the three comic book series that I wanted to talk about for this month. Uh, In in December, Star Wars update, we're going to cover a whole bunch of other ones like Mace Windu, um, and we'll talk more about what's happening in the Star Wars ongoing comic, um, as well as, uh, you know, a bigger review of Poe Dameron, because I think it's going to make sense more after The Last Jedi comes out. 
So, all right, our last topic uh, for this month's Star Wars update. Boy, is this one loaded or what? Uh, <laughs> um, our last topic is uh, the book, the major book. There's been at least a book a month that has been coming out um, for for Star Wars, it seems. I don't know if January, I don't think there's, I don't know of anything slated to come out in January. In December, we have the Canto Bite novel, which I already have pre-ordered, and I will review that in the uh, December Star Wars update. F- is it February when we get... Or maybe it was in April. They they released the cover art. Oh, holy crap. I creamed my jeans. They released the cover art for the new Thrawn novel that Timothy Zahn's writing called, uh, was it uh, Allegiances or Alliances or whatever, uh, where it's going to be Thrawn and Darth Vader working together. I can't handle. I can't deal. <laughs> that's, that's so fucking exciting to me. Holy shit. Um, anyway, obviously, I'll be talking about that when that comes out. Because right now, still my favorite Star Wars novel of the new canon is Thrawn. Uh, that came out by by Timothy Zahn back in April of uh, of this year of 2017. So anyway, um, Legends of Luke Skywalker is the book that came out for October. Well, it wasn't the only one, right? Because we also had that terrible or very strange anyway, from a certain point of view, which I reviewed in, in last month's uh, Star Wars update. Uh, so Legends of Luke Skywalker. This is technically a junior novel, and it's it's kind of an anthology. It has a bunch of little stories that are tied together by these kids who are uh, who are like young people anyway, who are the crew aboard, not necessarily a slave ship, but kind of a, a labor ship of some kind. And they're telling all these different stories about Luke Skywalker. Now, he, some of these stories are really cool. Some of the things that Luke says in it are amazing, like saying that, you know, he 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 encounters these people who He's like, you know, you got to join the rebellion. You know, if you if you just let evil, uh, you know, if you just let the you know, the evil that is the empire, if you just let evil exist and you don't do anything about it, um, you know, you're you're really like you're on the side of evil if you do that. But then he he gets humbled by these people who, you know, they, they have a different term for the force, but they're they're force sensitive people. They, I think they call it like the wave or something or not. Not the wave. Um, they, they call it the. Uh, not the ocean. Anyway, whatever. They, they have a very specific uh, na- name for it that they... Oh, the tide. I think they call it the tide. I knew it was something to do with water. But anyway, you know, he learns from them and... But, well, let me tell you stories. He learns from them that... Spoiler alerts. He learns from them that, well, actually, you know, not engaging in the war and cre- having a planet, creating a place where peace, uh, you know, and good can thrive is just as much a stalwart against evil than anything else. And I just read that. I was like, yes, exactly. Cause that's such a big part of my own personal philosophy. Um, not that I'm, I'm a pacifist, but you know, creating like, you know, Island, shall we say islands of sanity, I think is such an important thing to do. So anyway, like I thought that that was really nice, uh, you know, to, to kind of get for him to get that perspective. And that's kind of the, the bulk of what you learn throughout the novel or th- yeah, throughout the different stories within the novel is that Luke is learning like all of these different aspects of the force. And he's learning all of these different kind of ph- philosophical perspectives um, that we'll probably see come to fruition in The Last Jedi. Uh, there is an amazing it's kind of the first story. There is like the first story in it takes place during the Battle of Jakku, which is, you know, somewhere a bit before, um, you know, before The Force Awakens. And in it, you find out that like Luke, there's this point where Luke using force lightning brings down like two star destroyers. Like, I mean, he just like wrecks these star destroyers completely on his own. 
you know, it's it's kind of like if you remember the the trailer and one of the opening cinematics for um, the Force Unleashed games uh, with uh, Starkiller, the character of Starkiller, where he brings down an entire Star Destroyer. Uh, Luke does this like with Force Lightning. And it's really like it's, it's it's such an intense thing to read. You can't believe you're hearing it. And it was, you know, it's it, like I said, it's pretty much the first story in there. And it was or first or second. And it, it was such an awesome uh, moment. And it was so badass. In fact, even uh, the Star Wars show, which is the little weekly news show that they do, an interview show they do on uh, on the Star Wars YouTube channel. At the end of the, one of the recent Star Wars shows, they even did an anim like a like an animatic, not fully animated, but an animatic kind of storyboard version of that tale of that particular legend. Okay, with with Luke Skywalker, and I think it's because yeah, everybody's like, holy shit, that's awesome, and it was so cool. Here's the problem. All of these, I don't know, there's five, six, seven, eight stories or whatever within it. All of these little stories, the claim goes is that they're legends, like, and they're being retold by, you know, by, by a narrator that may not have this whole story or maybe getting parts of the story wrong. So we don't know that that actually happened. We don't know that anything in the book actually happened. There's one story in particular that I thought, and it was one of the earlier ones that I thought was pretty funny, where it's this person completely like fabricating. They're, they're acting like a 9-11 truther in the book and just coming up with all these conspiracies and everything and, you know, how, how Luke and all them, they were, really weren't rebels and they really, you know, Luke wasn't really a Jedi. He was kind of this huckster and, you know, all this different stuff. And it's a very funny story, but it, it sets the tone for the book to where you're like, well, is everything I'm hearing accurate? Because obviously this person didn't get their get their shit accurate. Um, but personally, I, I I mean I thought that that was funny and the way that it kind of you know picks on conspiracy theories I thought was enjoyable. But the the, the fact that the whole book like I, look I I buy these books I consume them because I consider them part of you know, the, the larger order of the star Wars universe. And I want to know that as well as I know, you know, actual reality that I exist within. Okay. I want to have it that much surrounded. It's important to me. It allows me to, you know, communicate accurately and kind of glean at what's coming next or, uh, you know, and, and it's all very inspiring to me, uh, you know, as a creator and writer myself and for it to be potentially all bullshit. I just, I think that's such a cop out and, and some, uh, uh, Actually, a great Sovereign Tech patron, you know, made the point that this is becoming a, a very popular trope to do that, where it's like the uncertain narrator um, and that even it's it's well going well beyond Star Wars and all that. And yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like it's being I think it's intellectual laziness. Like it really is like this is just OK. Well, you know, if we just say if we if we turn it into a campfire story, it doesn't have to be 100 percent accurate. So we can give the story group a day off or whatever. Or we could come up with all kinds of cool shit that'll that are really interesting to read. But then we can say, yeah, but that didn't really happen. The force doesn't really work that way. Blah, blah, blah. It's such crap. I, I was I was really so disappointed um, in that. And this kind of highlights the point that I think we really have to get past uh, with Star Wars. And I'm hoping that The Last Jedi is when we finally get past it. The amount of secrecy and the amount of like hands off that creative teams are within Lucasfilm are being uh, kind of required to be like, look, you know, as soon as Disney took over, 
people knew what they wanted. When we heard there was going to be an episode seven, eight, nine, we want Luke Skywalker. We want Luke Skywalker out there kicking ass, you know, doing his thing. We want to find out what happened after Return of the Jedi. We don't really want to. I mean, it's it's cool. It's amazing what's happening 30 years after Return of the Jedi, you know, like with, you know, with The Force Awakens and the new trilogy in seven, eight, nine. OK, but we want to know what happened after Return of the Jedi. We want to see Luke Skywalker doing the business. You know, that's what we've been wanting since 1983. It's what we've always wanted. You know, and and they just Disney won't do it. They're too fucking scared to reveal what I don't know, you know, and I'm just hoping that whatever this big secret, this big turn that even Mark Hamill himself has been going nuts over that Ryan Johnson came up with or whatever for the force. Like, please, after The Last Jedi, you know, let let the creators, let the novelists, let the comic books, let the writers, let them go nuts with the time frame between Return of the Jedi and or just the time frame after Return of the Jedi and before The Force Awakens when Luke is young and he can go and you know and he can go kick some ass. Give us that, please. Holy shit. That's all that's really all we've ever wanted. And that's why I think ever you know, most Star Wars fans, as much as they may love anything that comes out, there's always that tinge of disappointment. You know, just a little bit, because we all know what we secretly want is we want Jedi Luke Skywalker, you know, powerful, young Jedi Luke Skywalker, post Return of the Jedi, wearing triple black, going out there with the green lightsaber and doing the business. That's what we want. Give it to us already. Holy shit. Enough with the secrets. I don't give a shit about the secrets. Like, I'm going to go see The Last Jedi. You don't don't have to have any mysteries. You don't have to have any surprises. I'm going to see it no matter what. Give us some Luke Skywalker and not bullshit where it's like, well, maybe that happened. Maybe that didn't happen. It's a legend. You know, you can't really trust these narrators. Is that exactly what Luke did? Maybe he didn't. Stop. Stop Lucasfilm. Stop the fucking tease. You can build up everything else after the fact. Give us Luke Skywalker. Real Luke Skywalker. Triple black. Green lightsaber Luke Skywalker. Give it to us. Oh, man. I mean, it's enough to drive you nuts because then suddenly when you think you get it and it's a shame, like I listened to the entire book of legends of, uh, of Luke Skywalker. And I was like, boy, you know, that was kind of fun. Like, I mean, some of that was stupid, but a lot of it was, was a lot of fun. And, you know, to experience that with Luke Skywalker and then for it to officially come out from Lucasfilm themselves saying, yeah, but it's legends. It's not actually what he did. Like it may not be exactly what he did. Like there's parts that could be wrong about it. It's just like, Oh, well then why the fuck did I read it? If that's not what happened, you know, like that, I really, I think that's so cheap. It's such a cop out. It's such bullshit. Don't ever do that again. Just like don't do from a, October was a bad month. It was a really bad month for a lot of Star Wars media uh, and for a lot of Star Wars news, frankly, because I mean, wasn't that when we were finding out the, you know, how Trevor O got fired from episode nine, the, you know, there's the, the bad stuff or, you know, Han Solo news was, was kind of up in the air. Um, you know, you know, the solo movie news is up in the air. There was like a lot of ugly shit. And then the books from a certain point of view in legends of Luke Skywalker took star Wars canon or not canon in directions that I think were just, just stupid, like really, really stupid. And we talked about from a certain point of view in the last star Wars update. If you want to hear about that, go listen to it. You know, I mean, there's no need. There's no fucking need for, for that goddamn, you know, Dinaga, you know, that, that creature that was in the trash compactor in episode four for that to be some kind of like force user. What in the goddamn fuck? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're, you're wasting. The problem is you're wasting my time with, with petty and honestly stupid shit. And you could say value subjective. 
fine. No, I think it's stupid shit. And it's not just like, like if I was a kid, I would have said, he's a force user. That's fucking dumb. You know, like that, that's how I would have felt about it. Even, even as a young guy, really. So anyway, um, I don't know how much more there, there is to say on that. I mean, the book is enjoyable. If you can get past the fact that what you're reading may not mean anything at all. And it, oh, it's such a pity because that Star Destroyer coming or those Star Destroyers coming down. Man, that was fucking awesome. Um, you know, then then I then I guess it's it's worthwhile, you know. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so that's it. I think that's it for this week, uh, this month's Star Wars update. We covered a lot. And of course, December, as has been the past few years, is going to be huge because we're going to get the last Jedi. Um, I will be doing like I said, I will be dedicating the the episode of Sovereign Tech after the 14th of December. I will be dedicating, as usual, half the episode of the prime episode to a review of uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi. I do that with every Star Wars movie, and we will not break that tradition. So uh, that's going to be a great time. But then there's going to be so much else going on in December uh, to review and to talk about a lot of different books and uh, and comics and everything to, to dive into. Um, and then I think we, Rebels comes back in January, I think. So we'll be able to finish up season four for the January Star Wars update, of course. I mean, just a lot of exciting stuff uh, going on. So also, uh, you will get your your Wednesday Q&A will come out uh, later today. And also, we will have uh, the Star Trek update will come out uh, tomorrow, that being tomorrow being November 30th, 2017. So you are getting in all of your monthly episodes. You got it, baby. Uh, anyway. That's it for uh, for the November Star Wars update. Woo! Of course, if you ever have questions about Star Wars or something, you know, whatever, like message me. Let me know. And, or, you know, especially on Patreon. And I could talk about it on the Star Wars update. But I will see you, baby. Woo! On the other side. <laughs>